for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 136, and I am your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is author Crystal Payne. Crystal has a fabulous new book out called Love Centered Parenting. Crystal's a wife, a homeschooling mom to three young children, and she's been writing on topics related to frugality for the last five years and living a frugal, simple, and debt-free life since she was born. Her blog, MoneySavingMom.com, is one of the top personal finance blogs on the web, averaging over 4 million page views per month. Crystal has contributed to articles in Women's Day magazine and All You magazine, as well as being mentioned on National Public Radio and CNN.com in USA Weekend and Real Simple magazine, and numerous other local newspapers and radio and television shows. Needless to say, Crystal has a lot to tell us, and I'm so glad to have her here. As always, I'm going to share my points to ponder so you have something to start using right away. And parents, remember, don't just download these episodes, click the subscribe button. I promise you won't regret it. We're on iTunes, and the PGK podcast is available on the in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. Friends, I need you to check out my brand new course called Simple Discipline That Works. You can find anything out about it if you go to my website, meekerparenting.com. Click on the free webinar and you'll hear all about simple discipline that works. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 136. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on my fabulous conversation with Crystal Payne. Well, Crystal, thanks so much for joining me on our podcast today. I am so excited to be here. You wrote a fabulous book, Love-Centered Parenting. And I loved that idea, but I'll tell you the truth, I really didn't know what it meant. But this book comes out of a lot of pain in your own life, particularly a painful experience. Um, Can you tell us about that experience? Yes. You know, if you had told me that I was going to be writing a book with parenting in the title, I would have said, no, 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 you got the wrong person. Because for years and years, for some reason, when you write things on the internet, people think that you somehow know what you're talking about. And so they would come to me and ask me things about parenting, which I don't talk about on the internet. And I would say, just ask me in 25 years from now, maybe Mm -hmm. I'll have something to share with you. But then about four years ago, we had three kids at the time and they were in this little private Christian school. And one day at school drop off, the principal came to my husband and he said, I need to meet with you and your child and your wife after school, which is never a good sign. And we had just this feeling that something really bad was about to go down. But can I ask how old your child was? For our kids at that age, so they were all, um, they were kind of all preteens. Okay. We had one that was a little younger at that point. Pretty young. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, and so they, so, you know, we were going into this day going, 
what is about ready to go down? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And we just felt like we, you know, thought back and thought back, what, what, what is it, you know? And, and we just, we couldn't come up with anything. And so we walk into the principal's office and our child's there. And then the principal just shares with us what had gone down at school the day before. And we were really blindsided because it was something really serious that had happened and we didn't know anything about it. And, mm-hmm. but then it wasn't just that, and it had broken the school's code of conduct and they were going to have to take a lot of measures. But he then proceeded to talk to us about how this had, there had been lots of issues that had been going on for quite a long while. Multiple parents had come to him and it just can, it just felt bigger and bigger and bigger. It wasn't just this one instance. And were, the, were the issues specifically with your child or were, were they with a lot of kids in the class? No, it was specifically our child. So, Mm -hmm. and it was specifically that parents had come to him about our child. And, um, and so it was just this kind of moment where you feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath you because you didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'd gone to lots of school functions and we'd spent lots of time with these parents and had no idea that they were feeling like there were serious issues with our child. And then that kind of just, it felt like the dam broke for our child because then just this issue, they started just spiraling out of control in their anxiety and their depression. And then they were saying suicidal things and just lashing out. And there was just so much pent up anger and Mm -hmm. big feelings that just started coming out. And it ended up that then they were asked not to come back to the school. Mm -hmm. And we just felt at our wits end because what could we do? It just felt like, there's not a book or a manual that tells us how you walk through this with a child. And we started calling counselors and we were really struggling to find any, any counselor that was accepting a new client, or they would say, I'm sorry, this is a really serious issue for a young child and we can't help you. And finally, then one, they said, you need to go to the ER right now. This is not something that you need to deal with in a counseling session, your child is expressing suicidal tendencies, you need to get in the car and go to the ER. And Mm -hmm. it's just overwhelming as a parent, because you're feeling like, how did this happen? And so I start the book with walking into the ER and, you know, having to say my child's suicidal and that what you never, ever, ever envision when you're holding your sweet little babies someday, you're going to be walking into and just in that place of desperation and how it felt. And yet God met me there. And I look back and I see how he used that, where he just kind of stripped my reputation. He stripped all of my kind of parenting ideals and everything that I thought was working and took me back to square one. And so this book is really my story and my journey of that and what I've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. If we could back up just a little bit, a lot of parents had gone to the principal or did anybody reach out to you? There was one situation where parents had reached out to us and we'd had a conversation. We thought it had been worked through and we had actually reached back out to them later on and said, you know, um, is everything going okay? We just want to check in. And then later she, the the mom told me, she said, I was, I, I wish that I, I should have said more, but it was kind of in that moment of just feeling like, there's so much I don't even know how to express to you. So she just was like, it's okay. And she said, I shouldn't have done that. I should have 
than honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you discuss what kind of behaviors were happening that were disturbing the other parents? Um, so I would say that it was behaviors that they felt like our child was being a bully mm-hmm. or just being really saying and doing things that were really hurtful to their kids. And the teacher saw it. Did the teacher ever call you and say, hey, we need to talk about this or other than the principal that, that one time, but nobody really other than that, that one woman, did you feel like all these people knew except for you? It was, it was that feeling of like finding out that people had been talking about us Mm -hmm. and talking about our child. And, you know, I, I know it's awkward to go to a parent and address something, but you know, and so I don't, looking back, I don't feel like everything was handled perfectly, but we Mm -hmm. also, we need to own what we need to own. And so that's really what we try to just focus on owning our part in this and what we needed to do moving forward. Mm-hmm. Did your child seem happy at school? Did did they like school? Or was it clear to you that school was a tough place for them? You know, I feel like there were, you know, because looking back, it's like, did we see warning signs that they weren't doing well? And I think knowing what we know now and the therapy and counseling that we've been through, um, there were warning signs, but they weren't real obvious. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I just kind of felt like, well, this is just normal. You know, mm-hmm. teens, they struggle with, there's just some drama in mm-hmm. friendships. And, you know, and, and so I just kind of chalked it up to. Yeah. The other thing, too, is kids will hide it really well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're hard to read. And when you've got a teenager you know, a lot of their red flag issues look just like maybe normal behavior. There's a very thin line between them. And so it's really hard to see. So then um, after that emergency room visit, where did you go from there? So we were able to get in with a therapist, which was just a huge answer to prayer. And we had, we scheduled our meeting and we had that initial meeting. And so first um, the therapist had my husband and I come in and, um, have the initial meeting. And I just remember sitting there on the couch saying, if there is anything that I can do, like I'm at this completely desperate place. I want to help my child. And they are just, it feels like everything that I do is just the wrong thing because they're just so angry. And there's so much vitriol that's coming out of their mouth right now. And they don't want to live life. They're just angry and please help me. And I remember her talking about, you know, some of the things that she was going to go over in the therapy sessions. And I remember sitting there just kind of feeling like, I mean, you can try, but I don't think any of this is going to work. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I feel, I feel like I just had kind of this defeatist mentality because it was just so bad. And Mm -hmm. for the first few months, I really honestly was like, I mean, I don't know why we're paying all this money because Mm -hmm. it feels like this isn't doing much. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad that we stuck with it. And so I would encourage anyone who's listening who, you know, you feel like, we're, we're investing this time and this money into this thing. And it just feels like it's going nowhere. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time. And one of the biggest things for our child was learning emotional language and mm-hmm. learning how to express their feelings mm-hmm. because all they knew, everything just came out as anger. Mm-hmm. And so they just didn't have any context for being able to express, I'm feeling embarrassed or I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling sad everything just came out as anger. And so that was really what they worked on 
again and again and again and again. And they'd go over different colors, were different feelings. And every week the therapist would make my child say, I felt embarrassed this week when this happened. I felt sad this week when this happened. And just learning how to understand that's what they were feeling and then being able to express it. And Mm -hmm. I was really challenged by that because I realized that's not something I'd have modeled for my children. I would just you just get triggered or upset or irritated or you're, you know, lashing out your, your kids or you're just kind of, you know, bottling it all up or stuffing it all down instead of saying, what am I really feeling? Why am I feeling that? Where is this coming from? And so learning to ask those questions to model that for my child. But one of the big things for me right from the get-go, the therapist, after I told her, you know, I will do whatever, whatever it takes, please just help me if there's anything I can do. She called me back in a few weeks into the therapy sessions and she said, you know, I think you're trying so hard to fix your child. What would it look like to just walk with them and Mm -hmm. love them? And that convicted me so much because I'm a fixer. I'm a problem solver. And I realized as I started paying attention to how I was parenting, I was parenting from this place of, well, it's my job to fix I, you know, something's wrong. We need to solve this problem. How do we solve this problem? And I was spending so much time correcting my kids and very little time actually connecting Mm -hmm. with them. And so I started paying attention to how I was just responding and how I was approaching situations. And every time I was trying to bubble wrap, overprotect, micromanage, fix and solve and not just sitting with them and loving them. And as I really dug into where is this coming from? Why am I so trying so hard to fix? And I realized that I care a whole lot about my reputation and I really cared about what other people thought. And also I wanted to be a good mom, which there's nothing wrong with that. Like we all want to be good parents, but it was as if I had to achieve some level of perfection. I had attained some level that I had come up with this standard of what a good mom was for God to love me. And I didn't just really understand that I was fully loved for exactly who I was, exactly as I was, and that his love was not dependent upon my child's behavior or choices. And so I started to dig into that and I realized that there were so many lies that I had believed. And these lies were the labels that I wore and they were what I led with. So I would walk into a situation believing I'm not enough. I'm not a good mom. I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. And when you believe that lie long enough and it becomes your truth, then you live out of that. And so you become that. Yeah. Yeah. You're going into the situation, parenting your kids from the place of I'm already a failure. So then you just you are just so focused on what you're doing wrong that you can't focus on loving well. And so I just had to really dig into that and start replacing those lies with truth and then learning what it looked like to live out of that truth to my kids. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about, we're going to. We sort of talk about it before and an after. So before you were um, sort of trying to create this child who would be this stellar person so that you looked like a good mom. But then you realized that that doesn't work. And really, your parenting was all about you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about your child. 
But then you changed course and sort of dug into yourself and realized, gee whiz, I make I need to make some substantial changes here. And if I do these, then my child will change. So talk to us about what that how that transition spilled into your parenting. Yeah, so you know it's interesting. When I was working on writing this book, I actually asked on my Instagram account, I'm the money saving mom on Instagram, and I asked for people to fill in the blank. My job as a parent is to blank. And it was fascinating. I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses. And I would say that 98 to 99% of the responses were things that we ultimately have no control over Mm -hmm. as a parent. It was my job as a parent is to raise kids who love Jesus and go to heaven and are successful in life. And I'm like, that's a fantastic ideal, but you ultimately can't control that. You ultimately can't make that happen. Mm -hmm. And so if you feel like that is your job, then no matter what happens, you know, you're constantly going to feel like your job performance is on the line. And so you're going to be micromanaging and bubble wrapping and overprotecting your kids. You're going to come in and be super critical of them because you're, it's always about you Mm -hmm. and it's about your reputation and you're taking on this burden. And so for me, I had taken that on of what my job as a parent was and I'd gotten it all wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it is completely changed when I started understanding those lies, calling those lies out and saying, that's a lie. I would actually say that out loud and then replace it with the truth and say what a truth was. So if I felt like I'm a failure as a mom, no, the truth is that I might struggle and I'm going to make mistakes, but God still loves me and he has chosen me and redeemed me. He sees me as beautiful and he has given me everything that I need Mm -hmm. to be the mom to this child. And I can trust him and I can look to him because he's given me this child and he loves this child even more than I do. Mm -hmm. And so to rest in that truth and then to live out of that truth. And that really profoundly changed the way that I interacted with my kids. And in the book, I talk about four choices that I feel like every parent should make. And these are things that we actually can control. Mm-hmm. And they're not dependent upon our child's behaviors, our child's choices. They're not dependent upon the results of how our mm-hmm. child turns out. It's to lean in and love, to listen well, to lead with humility, and to let go. Mm-hmm. And I really unpack those in the book. And parenting from that space of what is mine to own stay in my own circle and focusing on just leaning in and loving my kids and listening well to what they're really saying and then leading with humility setting an example before them asking forgiveness a lot when i make mistakes and then ultimately letting go and there's just been so much freedom for me in that parents i hope you're enjoying my talk with crystal Payne. we need to take a quick break but don't go anywhere we'll be right back with more of this conversation. When you talk about leaning into love, um, I just want to make sure that listeners understand what, you, what you're saying because some people would hear, you know, the way to love my child well is to give them a lot of opportunities and help them get, get to, you know, the right high school, the right college. Um, so talk about what it meant for you, how you loved differently because it sounds like you loved your kids before this happened. Yes, um, absolutely. But, but, but now what you're saying is you loved 
differently. So how was the loving that you gave your kids manifested this new way? So when I understand how much I am loved and I have that love pouring through me to my kids, it completely changes the way that I approach a situation. So let's say that just the other day, two of my kids were fighting. They were just having an argument and I actually, we were going to be going somewhere and I got in the car and both of them were going at it. And it was kind of a big thing because they're a little bit older now. And so some of this stuff, you know, it has bigger consequences and they're mm-hmm. really going at it. And I realized, okay, I need to address the situation. I actually said, I'm going to go back in for just a second. I went back into the house because I was like, I need to just stop. I need to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I just sent up a flare prayer to the Lord saying, God, please help me to know how to walk this out with my child right here right now and how to just help them process through this. And then I just reminded myself, lean in and love, listen well. And so I got back into the car and I, I had both of them individually share what they were feeling and not saying something about the other child, the other child, but just their own feelings. What are you feeling? And it opened up the door to such great conversation. And it wasn't like we had this perfect resolution because I don't need to have a perfect resolution, but I wanted to make sure that they both felt loved and they both felt heard and they both were able to express what they were actually feeling. And so I was able to lean in and love them in that moment and take that posture of, I care about you. This is not about fixing. This is not about preaching a sermon to you. This is about really hearing your heart. Often when kids fight, um, you know, one walks away with very hurt feelings and the other one doesn't. So did you talk to one about... um, asking for forgiveness from the the kitty she or he hurt or did you just leave that let that go yes so in this particular case after they had both expressed their big feelings there were some things where they felt unheard by each other and it was like they were just shouting over one another Mm -hmm. you know and neither one was really hearing one of them was feeling hurt about this thing and the other one was feeling hurt about this thing and so we talked about that and i actually asked them a question i said how do you think jesus would have you respond and, you know, when we walked away from that, both of them, they did apologize to one another. I don't, I'm not going to require it in the sense of that I don't want them to just apologize out of, well, I have to. Mm-hmm. But I do, I try to really just walk with them through it in a way that they could see where the other one was coming from. And I think that was really what the beautiful thing was, is that maybe they still didn't agree at the end, but they understood one another better and they saw how each other they had hurt one another by their words and by how they were interacting with one another and then I was able to share with them in my own life and that's one thing I just try to instead of preaching a sermon or telling them what they need to change and do and trying to fix it more talking about asking questions of them that's something that I've really tried to focus on is asking questions and letting them open up and share but then also to share from my own life of when I've made a similar mistake. And so talking about from my own life and here's where I struggle with this. And, you know, so just letting both of them 
express their feelings. And it was really helpful for me as a parent too, because I think sometimes when we come in and we're like, you just need to stop fighting. No more fighting. We don't fight in this household. That's not kind. Stop it. Mm -hmm. We don't get to the root of what's really going on. A lot of times the surface stuff is just pointing to there's something much deeper. And so in this case, there was for both of them. And it helps me to understand their hearts so much better because of taking that time to lean in and love and to listen to them well. You talk about inviting your child to be with you, especially on bad days. How do you how do you invite your child to be with you in a meaningful way? Um, because I, I, I can see some parents going, well, you know, we hear about teachable moments, teachable moments, and we all sort of feel that every moment with, we're with our kids, something good has to come out of it. But that's really not what you're talking about. So talk to us about inviting our kids to be with us. You know, it was really interesting. We're, we are licensed foster parents. And um, so when we were going through our training, they were talking about how kids with trauma, um, if you do time out for them, that, that can actually be really traumatic to them. But mm-hmm. so often that is kind of our go-to where it's like a child is being bad. So we're like, go up to your room. Mm-hmm. And they really challenge us to have time in where it's like bringing the child alongside you and being with them. And so it depends upon the age of your child. But I think um, just recently, one of my kids was just really struggling. And I actually just went and sat next to them. And I just said, you know, how was your day today? But it wasn't in the sense of like, hey, I know something's really going on with you and we need to unpack this and we need to talk, but just starting with kind of more of the surface stuff so that they just feel, they feel more safe with you and that it's not like you're just trying to pry into all their stuff. And so, you know, if they're little, it might just be getting down and playing with them. Maybe they just haven't had a lot of time with you. And so they're trying to get your attention by acting out. And, you know, it would be better if they would just come and say, hey, mom, can I spend time with you? But sometimes kids don't have that emotional language Mm -hmm. to say that. And so paying attention to that, you know, sitting and getting on their level as they get older, what are things that your kids love to do? I think so often I talk to moms who are like, I can't connect with my child. And I'll be like, well, what do they like to do? You know, just the other day, mom wrote in to me and, and she had a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old boy, boys. And she was saying, you know, I just want to spend time with them, but I don't know what to do with them. And I said, well, do they like video games? Do they like um, sports? You know, what are those things that they like? And she said, oh, well, I'm not interested in any of that stuff. And I think as moms... Even if we have, we don't could care less about something that they're really passionate about. We care about them. Mm-hmm. So because we care about them, caring about what they care about and just so being with them. And so sometimes that's, you know, saying, hey, do you want to, one of my daughters, she loves to go shopping. And so just, you know, if I think like we need some more time together, we haven't, con- we're not connecting as much as I would like. So just say, hey, do you want to go to Target with me? Like that speaks her love language mm-hmm. in such a big way. And that's not like I don't just go to Target for fun. That's not me. But saying, I want to step into your world. I want to care about what you care about. I want to do something that speaks love to you. I want to be interested in what you're interested in. I think that that really tells our kids that they are priorities to us and that they are seen and heard much more than sometimes it's our tendency to kind of be like, come step into my world. Come, I'm going to run an errand. You want to come with me? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we're doing is asking them to step into our world, I think we're not going to connect them at such a deep level. Mm -hmm. One, for them to know we see them and we're interested in in what they do. But 
I remember I had a friend who um, was a dad and he was having a hard time connecting with his teen because the teen just wouldn't talk. And at night, when he was the son was doing his homework, dad would just go sit in the in his room, the, the son's room, and just sit on the floor and do some of his work and not even talk. And eventually, you know, his son's like, that's kind of weird, dad. And he didn't do it every night. But the whole goal is, I just want to be in the same room with you and I don't need to talk. But, you know, and eventually that really um, helped, your, helped your relationship. Um, talk to us in the last few minutes um, about... Um, Learning to welcome feedback from our kids, boy, that's a hard one because they will show us very clearly what we're doing wrong much more quickly than what we're doing right. So how do you how do you start to get feedback from your kids? You know, I think that if they're 16 years old and you've never asked any kinds of questions or never kind of showed vulnerability before them, you're going to have to work up to it. And it might start with just saying, hey, I'm really struggling as a mom right now. And I feel like I am not doing a great job of listening well to you. And I want to work on, you know, our relationship and I want to do what I can do. And so is there anything, you know, or even not saying, is there anything saying, what is something that I do that really annoys you? Or, you know, or starting Mm -hmm. with more as a little bit more of a surfacey question. I think that opening up the door to that. Now, if you start it when they're younger and you give them opportunities, my kids, they don't wait until I'm Mm. asking them for feedback. They're very honest with just saying, hey mom, I don't feel heard right now. And I really appreciate that because it's easy for me to think that we're connecting and to realize, no, I'm actually shutting them down without realizing it. And so developing that and asking those questions and opening up the door for that honest feedback. One of the um, most important questions that we've asked our kids is how can we help you feel loved? And what do we do that doesn't make you feel loved? And same thing of how do you feel heard? And when do we do things that make you not feel hurt? And when do we do things that make you feel shut down? And so the more that we just ask those questions and welcome that feedback and then receive it, I think that's the most important thing to receive it instead of trying to defend ourselves. Because I know when you get it, you kind of want to jump to, well, but you don't understand. It was because of this, but Mm -hmm. to just receive it and apologize and say, would you pray for me? And would you, you know, help me? I want to work on that. And I am so sorry. And will you forgive me? And just being honest and then working on it and really prioritizing that, I think that that speaks volumes to our kids. What if kids uh, give you feedback that isn't, um, well, I'm thinking about in particular, this one girl was very angry with her mother because she said, my mom just takes my phone all away all the time, all the time. And that just drives me crazy. And she would tell her mother that, um, but what do you do when a child is sort of legitimately complaining about something that you do? Well, I think, you know, in, in that case where it's like you're just you're doing something and the child is saying this is always happening. And maybe they're kind of whining and having a bad attitude about mm-hmm. it. Really pressing into why, you know, where is that coming from? But also making sure have you given them a reason for why you're doing something. So often we just kind of go to, you know, 
we're parenting out of fear. Like I know a lot of parents are really scared of social media right now. They're really scared of what's going to happen. And legitimately so there are a lot of dangers of social media, but if we just take the phones away instead of talking with our kids and, you know, giving them parameters and really having those conversations, I think a child is going to feel really frustrated by that. Or also setting up clear, you know, these are the consequences. If this happens, then you can have your phone. But if this happens, then we're going to have to take the phone away. And sometimes we actually write it up and have them sign it just to make sure that it's very clear that we're both on the same page. But One of the things I talk about in the book is I think being careful with how often you say no. We can become where no is just our default. It's just we just say no. And so really asking yourself, why am I saying no? Do I have a very legitimate reason or is it just because it's easier to say no and I don't really want to mess with that thing and that's going to mess up my schedule and, you know, you just kind of get stuck in that rut. And so to be careful that you're not just saying no out of selfishness um, or just to make your life easier. And then also that your kids, if you do say no, if you do take away something, uh, you know, if you do have a consequence that you've clearly communicated to them why. I think Mm -hmm. that that's really important that it's not just, just because or I'm the parent, but giving them a reason for why you're making this decision so that they at least have some context. Maybe they don't agree with you, but at least they have some context for where it's coming from. Well, Crystal, this has been wonderful. Um, If people want a copy of the book, A Love-Centered Parenting, or they just want to follow you, how can they um, find out more about you? So I always love to tell people to follow me on Instagram. That's my favorite place to be. I'm the Money Saving Mom on Instagram. I'm very active there on stories. I also am the founder of MoneySavingMom.com. So if you want great deals and ways to save money, MoneySavingMom.com is the place to go. And I am the host of the Crystal Payne Show, um, the podcast that my husband and I do together. And the book is available wherever books are sold. Christian book, bookshop.org, of course, Amazon or your local bookstore. Great. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. I got to have you back and talk to you about money. <laughs> totally different topic, but uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. On to my points to ponder. One, don't be afraid of seeing what's really going on in your child. You know, most of us fear the worst for our kids. Will they become suicidal, depressed, or bullied? We're afraid that something may be lurking in their hearts, but we either don't know how to figure out what's really there, or if we do, we may not know what to do if we find it. So we hope and pray. We don't move forward toward them because we might be afraid of what we're going to find. Don't be. Sometimes all kids need to know is that you want to see all of them, not just what you see on the surface. They want to know that you love them completely and you're not afraid of them. You're not afraid of their feelings of expressing themselves and finding out what's going on deep inside them. So open your arms and don't be afraid. Second, stop thinking about how good or bad of a parent you are. Start focusing on your child. You know, when we see something wrong with our kids, I did this and I still do it with the grandkids. We immediately look inward and ask, what am I doing wrong? Stop it. Often we did nothing wrong. So don't take your kids hurt personally. Focus on figuring out what you can do to help them 
then you can focus on what changes you need to make in order to get them through the difficulty. Three, never give up hope for your child or yourself. Being an authentic parent is hard. Truth be told, being an authentic person is hard enough. We don't really know what we can do and how well we can do it. We hide. This is the worst thing you can do if you want to help your kids. Move into tomorrow believing that they can get better and that you can be a better parent. No matter who you are or what you've been through, with God's help, life can always get better. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them to me. You can email me your parenting questions to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, Crystal Payne, for joining me on the podcast today. And please check out her fabulous new book, Love Centered Parenting. To find out more about Crystal, go to MoneySavingMom.com. That's MoneySavingMom.com. Be sure to follow Crystal on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Just search for Money Saving Mom in your internet browser. Let's recap my points to ponder. One, don't be afraid of seeing what's really going on in your child. Two, stop thinking about how good or bad of a parent you are. Start focusing on your child. And three, never give up hope for your child or yourself. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born.